the cannabis industry is evolving at a radical pace, progressing toward the green peak. Each week, join Richard Zwicky, a cannabis visionary and entrepreneur, as he interviews experts from around the globe to discuss updates and evolutions in the world of cannabis. Let's make that climb together up the, the green, green peak. peak with your host, Richard Zwicky. Hi, everybody. I'm Richard Zwicky with The Green Peak. And uh, joining me today is Steve D'Angelo. Steve is, uh, you know, he's been dubbed the father of the industry um, over the years. And I think uh, actually referring to as the, the father of the legal industry is a bit of a misnomer because you've been active since before there was an industry for us to refer to. I think you've been active for about four decades now, um, helping people um, discover the benefits of medical cannabis, but also looking for solutions to a lot of the problems that we're still struggling with. Um, thanks for joining us today, Steve. Very wonderful to, to be here. Thanks for having me, Richard. Yeah, and so, you know, you and I had the, you know, I had the pleasure of meeting you a couple of times over the last few years and had some interesting conversations, um, including a nice dinner at uh, one of the Arcview events. But, um, you know, you've been very active with regards to the legalization questions in the U.S., but a lot of us look forward to, you know, what's going to happen as far as legalization and opening up the market but you've been concerned um, over the years also with what's happened in the past. And a lot of people have been caught up, unfortunately, um, with regards to sentences that are unjustified or incredibly harsh uh, for what uh, for possession or other uh, issues and are sitting in jail for things that today are legal. How, um, you know, I know you've started the uh, a project around that. How uh, how is that being received, and what do you look forward to accomplishing with it over the next six and twelve months? You know, what is going to be the measurable steps? I know what we'd like to see is the outcome, but what are the hopes for the steps over the next six months? So the last prisoner project uh, has one simple, uh, single-minded goal, and that's to ensure that as we build a global legal cannabis industry that we make sure that people who are in prison today for doing what we're able to do legally now are released. And uh, that's where the name of the project comes from. We want to see the day, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> that's where the name of the project comes from. Uh, we want to see the day when the very last cannabis prisoner is released and comes home to their family. Yeah, I mean, amnesty would be fantastic. And hopefully there's also going to be a form of expungement of uh, on their records because it's a uh, you know for what they the the penalties that people have received definitely seem draconian vis-a-vis -vis what the uh, charges have been in so many cases and I'm sure that if we looked into the data and you probably have it there's also a very heavy skew in terms of racial profiling in who received what sentences because I know from having spoken to a few people you know depending on your racial profile, you may have got a slap on the wrists or six years in jail. And that's uh, unconscionable to me that, you know, there's a difference based on the color of your skin or where you came from. Yeah, there's, there has been a historic disparity in cannabis enforcement in the United States. Um, people of color are more likely to be arrested by several orders of magnitude. Uh, once arrested, they are more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they are more severely punished. Um, and uh, 
and this is something that's been going on uh, for quite a long while. It's not um, it's not an unintended consequence of the war on drugs. The reason that cannabis laws were passed in the first place were were to control marginalized populations, control communities of color, to marginalize communities of color. So yes. it's, it, it is um, it, it's nothing uh, it's nothing new. I think that what a lot of folks don't realize is that. Uh, the magnitude of it, there's 40,000 people still in prison. And some of the sentences are just incredibly egregious. We have over 50 people in the United States who are serving. Sorry, how many? 50. Okay. 50, five zero people who are in prison serving sentences of life without parole for cannabis offenses. One that we're highlighting now is the case of Michael Thompson, who's in state prison in Michigan in his 27th year of a 60-year sentence for selling three pounds of cannabis. He was sentenced in the 1990s and has been in prison eight years old. Is- he has underlying health conditions. COVID is present, and uh, we are calling on of Michigan to uh, grant our emergency compassionate release petition uh, for Michael. Um, but Michael, they said, is one of uh, 50 plus people who are in that situation. Uh, and just imagine, right? Three pounds of cannabis. I sell multiples times that amount of weed in one of my four stores every single day of every single week of every year for the past 13 years. Yep. And I sell oh, it free. I know it's, uh, it's amazing how some of the, uh, how the justice is metered out and uh, how, unfair it is in terms of inequitable it has been metered out in different areas of the country but also uh across different groups um you know i i saw a stat that there's over forty thousand people in the u.s in jail for what would be you know elsewhere would be minor offenses with regards to cannabis and uh, that's incredible to me do you know is that stat right that it's forty thousand? is it and how long are the average sentence for we know that it is at least 40,000 people who are in prison. Mm-hmm. By definition, if you're in prison as opposed to jail, your sentence is at least one year. Mm-hmm. And and that, that range goes, as I said, all the way up to life without parole. Um, there's a bit of a difficulty ascertaining exactly how many people are imprisoned on cannabis charges because each state reports those charges differently. And, and, and so we know there's a minimum of 40,000 but quite likely that number is significantly higher. And, and let me add that, it's, that that's just the beginning of our mission because uh, as cannabis is legalized around the world, uh, our belief is, is that if we have a legal industry where people are going to be able to build careers and, and in some cases intergenerational wealth, then, then it's, it's a moral imperative that we ensure that people who are in prison for doing exactly the same thing are released uh, as part of this change. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. You know, the, it is intolerable that people are jailed inequitably. I mean, would be the simplest matter. And it's not just, you know, I understand there will be some who will argue there's, you know, there's a law, there's a, you know, this, that, and the other. But when you change the law and you offer some amnesty or some adjustment and you look forward at things going forward, 
you can't be inequitable with how you're dealing with people, but more more importantly, you can't be uh, applying justice based on the color of skin or where people live or come from or anything else like that. You know, that just transcends not just this industry, but every every aspect of society. I mean, it and, seems pretty simple, right? We have a society as a society. It seems pretty simple, right? We as a society have decided that this is something that should no longer be illegal. And if we've decided that something is not going to be a crime anymore, mm-hmm. then how can we justify continuing to punish people for the thing that we've decided isn't a crime anymore, never should have been a crime in the first place. So I, I just, I, I don't think that there's any circumstance whatsoever that justifies the imprisonment of people for uh, providing a plant, a healing plant, one of the most valuable gifts of mother nature. The people who carried this plant through prohibition weren't criminals, they're heroes. Mm-hmm. Yep, I, uh, <clears throat> I agree. And, uh, you know, nobody should be, well, we can go into the some of the aspects. Nobody should ever be a martyr for uh, for for things that uh, like this at this point. And people are giving up their lives uh, in their in their own way, and that's uh, beyond unfortunate. We're going to take a break and come back in a few seconds or a few minutes and uh, rejoin the conversation with Steve D'Angelo about the uh, Prisoner Project and a number of other matters about the history of the industry. Coming right back on Richard's Wiki on the Green Peak. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. It's time to Hemp Resent. I am going to titillate your audio orifices with weekly radio rendezvous with some of the premier movers, shakers, and history makers of the cannabis community. Radio resident hempo sapien Vivian McPeak. I will be putting out a call to action on the issues of the day and putting your interests under the big lights as I provide cannabis commentary and weekly interviews that go straight for the nugular. Marijuana! Hemp Resent, only on Cannabis Radio. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com.
climbing our way up, up, up to the Cannabis Summit of Success. Cannabis Radio is back with more of the Green Peak. And we're back with Steve D'Angelo and I'm Richard Zwicky. Steve, just before the break, we were discussing, you know, the number of people who are in jail, the 40-odd thousand across the U.S. who are in uh, prison for a year or more with sentenced crimes. But there's a significant number of people who are awaiting sentencing or in jail for less than a year. Um, and it seems that that's taking a preponderance of the legal system's time, effort, and uh, quite honestly, it's as we said earlier, it's a uh, it's a huge problem in terms of resources, but also in terms of lives. How many people are uh, facing charges today or regularly in the U.S. compared to more serious crimes or any crimes? Well, what we know is that over the years, it certainly adds up to millions and millions and millions of people, several hundred thousand people every year. Um, uh, one American every 42 seconds arrested on cannabis charges. And it's difficult to know the exact number of people who are in the city jails and the county jails at, at any given time. But what we do know is that more people were arrested last year on cannabis charges in the United States than were arrested for all violent crimes put together. So it gives you an idea of where the resources are being put, where the enforcement effort is, is being put. Um, who knows what would happen to real crime if half of the resources that are, are, are available were not being used to chase people who just yeah. have a full hour. <laughs> And, you know, the U.S. already, uh, you know, I can give an international perspective on it. It's been a, it's a mystery and it's disappointing to people that the U.S. has the, you know, which is such a, has always been viewed as a leader and a beacon on so many things around the world um, in terms of pursuit of uh, liberty, has also the highest rate of incarceration in the world. And if cannabis is accounting for more than the violent, all the violent crimes combined, one really has to question what else is going on that uh, we're not seeing from on a day-to-day -day basis because it is beyond ludicrous that cannabis would account for the largest segment of the prison population. Well, it's only understandable when you consider the racial dynamics and that disproportionately by a factor that ranges anywhere from four to ten times as many people of color are arrested um, in the city of Chicago, um, uh, over 90, where, where the African-American population is something south, I think, of 40 percent. Over 90 percent of the people arrested in Chicago were, were people of color. So you can't really understand the continuing emphasis on cannabis enforcement by, um, by, by police, by law enforcement authorities in the United States until you understand that that effort is being focused mainly on communities of color. It is not about the plant. It's never been about the plant. It's about who is using the plant. No, that's exactly it. And, uh, you know, I just actually looked up as you were speaking. Um, I'm trying to figure it out right now. But, you know, the population of Chicago and Chicago itself, it's a fraction of even that uh percentage you were referring to um, going through. So if 90% of the population there that is being incarcerated is uh, is black, they don't even, you know, it doesn't even, the African-American population doesn't even account for 20% of the population in Chicago, it looks like. 
according to the last data I'm looking at. Um, so, you know, that's one big problem. Obviously, it's a huge problem, and that's not one we're going to solve uh, in a short conversation. But one of the things that people who have gone through this um, and are continuing to go through it, they have to look forward. And as they come out of prison, they come out of jail for, you know, even if they've been in for six months or under, you know, anything under a year, they're still coming out with a stigma attached to them. Uh, they have a, they have a, a record. And for ones who've been in prison or jail for a longer period, the world's evolved and they need new skills. They need jobs, they need opportunity. And that's probably the biggest thing is opportunity. How's the project working with regards to that? Because it's one thing for us to help people get out of jail and that's incredibly, you know, freedom is the most important thing to any of us, but then it's what to do with ourselves afterwards. So we, um, you're right. The number one goal is, is making sure that people get released, but just having them released um, without some support is, uh, is not very helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, people get out of prison. They typically don't have a place to live. They typically don't have transportation. They don't have a livelihood. And in many cases, they are unable to be employed, unable to get access to subsidized housing or food assistance or professional licensing or credit or any of the, the other basic building blocks of a productive life in society. So what we have done is we have developed a six-week training program as prisoners learn some of the skills that are necessary to participate in the legal cannabis industry. Um, even if you've worked your whole career in the underground cannabis industry, on the legal side, it can be very different. I'll give you a few examples. Oh, absolutely. An underground cannabis entrepreneur, you don't learn much about marketing because yeah. your products and you talk about <laughs> how great they are in public, then the cops are going to find you and they're going to take you down. Uh, similarly, you don't learn a whole lot about financial accounting because financial records are evidence. They can be used to put you in prison for a very long time. So generally, uh, people on the underground side didn't learn a whole lot about finance or credit uh, or accounting. Um, we got very, very good at evading the law, but there was no regulations for us to comply with. So we don't really know compliance, which is this whole professional thing that you need to know how to do. It's an incredibly important, continually more important aspect of the industry. Right. So what our retraining program will, will do is help folks who are interested in participating in the legal cannabis industry to begin to orient themselves to some of the skills that are going to be needed that are different from what you may have acquired in the underground cannabis industry. And then we have companies that are standing by to, to hire the graduates of those programs. Uh, even before the program has been um, released, we, on an ad hoc basis, have been helping released cannabis prisoners. Uh, one of our constituents, uh, Evelyn LaChapelle, has an incredible story. Uh, after um, serving five years in, in prison on cannabis charges, which were really crazy charges, she got a job in her field, um, which is event organization and hospitality, uh, she passed all the background checks uh, until one of her coworkers Googled her, found out about her offense, uh, took that uh, to the HR department, and she was fired uh, from her job. 
So fortunately, their Vertosa Cannabis Company of Oakland, California, mm-hmm. has stepped up to the plate, and uh, and Evelyn is now their director of uh, of community engagement and event organizing. So uh, we are uh, doing um, uh, what we can before we have formal programs, and we're developing those programs. And our hope one day is to persuade prisons to to let us come into the prison and deliver these training programs before people are released so that as soon as they get out they'll have a job waiting for them yeah and i know you know i i'm not as familiar with the u.s prison system but in canada you know one of the steps and stages as you approach uh release it there's training programs throughout but they make sure you have trades and skills and all sorts of things that are built up so that you have something to go to afterwards and what you're speaking about is very much in the same line very different country though right oh yes although this little thing here in the united states called slavery yeah i know it's a, a stain upon the world i don't think you guys had that there I mean, really no. you know, to understand this issue and 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 just you know crime in general crime and punishment in the united states you, you have to understand those dynamics so in the united states people don't get training before they're released from prison mm-hmm. they don't get anything and that's why that's why there's such a high reoffense rate yeah. right and that's part of the mitigation strategy against reoffense reoffenders in canada is that job training Right, because that it gives you something to keep you to give you a path, and that's what everybody needs coming out of it. Because you've you've done your time, right? If you've committed a crime and you've served your sentence, you've done your time, but you can't be expected to walk out and just pick up the pieces. Yeah, exactly. Even for people who really have committed crimes. Yeah, uh, exactly. I'm not just referring to cannabis. I'm talking in general. It's you know, if if you don't give people a path. You're incenting them to take the wrong turns again. At the end of the day, we all have to live together. That's right. right. To get a legal job or to get housing or to get food or to get licensing, they have to survive. Exactly. People need, you know, they will will find a way to survive. And unfortunately, if you don't give them the opportunity to do so legally and in, in society, they have no choice. And so it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that uh, people reoffend, and that's it's a horrible thing that the uh, if the justice system in the U.S. doesn't give people that path. We have to go to break again, but we'll be back uh, with Steve D'Angelo on uh, on here on uh, Green Peak. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. I said palm tree. Yo, 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 this your boy, TJ, Shrinad James. You're listening to Dr. Bina on Cannabis Confidential. L.A., what up? People were so excited to see you supporting our industry, and it's so important to see people who are mainstream, who are out there, that people look up to. That was my first one ever going to, so that was definitely a big deal for me. It's not just, oh man, just come smoke a bunch of joints. It's a lot of science into it. It's way more interesting than a lot of people might think who look down, per se, on what we enjoy. Cannabis Confidential, only on CannabisRadio.com.
Oh, lady marijuana llama, tell you something now. Bought a game for your phone, gonna make you say wow. The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put the big celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is Himping, that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot proved by the man who run high times. Oh yeah, get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Doc Rob, the concierge for better living. My guests say Razzy Berry. We're talking about nature, naturopathic medicine, as well as the concept of prevention and preventing disease. Empower people to live a naturopathic lifestyle, get to know your body, understand its rhythms, remove toxins, and use natural alternatives whenever possible. 90 to 95% of cancers are due to environment and lifestyle risk factors. That's a huge number. That means that cancer is preventable. The Concierge for Better Living with Doc Rob. Only on CannabisRadio.com Climbing our way up, up, up to the Cannabis Summit of Success. Cannabis Radio is back with more of the Green Peak. And we're back with Steve D'Angelo. And Steve, I mean, uh, the work you've done over the years with regards to legalization in the cannabis industry you know, thank you, because it's made it possible for a lot of us to follow in your footsteps and participate and create things and bring uh, crucial treatments and medicine to patients around the world. You know, my company and my background is more on the global cannabis uh, scene. And you've been working not just in the U.S., but globally uh, for years. But if I think back to it, you know, Canada did the first steps towards legalization at the end of the 90s and the first companies came on the market in, well, the first company in 2003, bringing uh, medication to patients. And that was, you know, very much a first mover in the world. How things have evolved over the last two decades. Are you surprised? Are you dismayed that it hasn't gone further faster? Do you think it's evolving at a, you know, we all would like it to be faster, but you think it's evolving globally at a, reasonable pace and you have you're optimistic for it speeding up or are you concerned well you know when i started doing this work 50 years ago i thought that i would get it done in three or four years and then we would move on to mushrooms and some other things that i cared about too yeah um, <laughs> and it ended up taking a, a lot longer um but uh in the in the past i'd say four years there's just been this tremendous acceleration worldwide. I think that, you know, at the point that Canada became the first G7 country to fully and, and uh, along with opening up its, its public capital markets and international trade was really a game changer. And, and Canada served as a model for, for countries all over the world. I spent uh, 200 days on the road last year, I traveled to four different continents to emerging cannabis economies. And every place I went, there's just a, a, a almost frenzied level of activity, of legal reform, of building industries, of forming alliances, new companies, uh, getting licensed, getting certified, going through the processes, 
Colombia, Mexico, Jamaica, Spain. Uh, it's it's worldwide. Uh, just yesterday, we heard that Lebanon now has legalized cannabis for that's right and medical purposes. Now, I grew up smoking Lebanese hash, and <laughs> and, uh, and I have some very fond memories uh, of it. But it's a real breakthrough because you know there's two parts of the world that we have not seen a tremendous amount of cannabis reform yet. One is the Middle East, and so mm-hmm. now we see Lebanon really stepping out boldly. And and we just heard of Thailand uh, stepping out pretty boldly with medical cannabis legislation, and South Korea stepping out a little less boldly. Right. So what we're seeing is countries who even have deep cultural antipathy towards cannabis are now beginning to embrace it because the true science of cannabis, the real facts of, of this plant, its true value uh, is becoming known. And and the, the, the real deal is it's just too valuable for the world to do without. Yeah, and we're just still just scratching the surface in terms of understanding its value full and all the applications for it as a medical compound. It's, uh, it's astonishing how much we learn on a continuous basis but how critical it is for people with certain conditions. And uh, it's, it's a travesty what happened uh, back when it was basically went through prohibition globally. Well, I mean, if you take a look at it from a medical point of view, it was just a, it was this huge, huge, huge leap backward. We've been using this plant, human beings, successfully for thousands of years. Yep. It's been one of our most important uh, medicines. And, uh, and my prediction is that 20 years from now, when the history is really seen and fully appreciated, cannabis is the, the rediscovery of cannabis as a therapeutic agent um, uh, is going to be recognized as the greatest medical breakthrough. I used to say it would be recognized as the greatest medical breakthrough since the discovery of germ theory. I don't believe that anymore. I think cannabis is going to be recognized as the greatest medical discovery of all times, because it is so efficacious for such a wide range of, of different uh, conditions. And what we're learning now is that it's some of the trace elements in cannabis, some of the rarer cannabinoids, some of the more minor terpenes, especially when combined with each other, they can have just tremendously powerful therapeutic effect. With 140 different cannabinoids at least, yep. and literally thousands, potentially thousands of terpenes, we have a therapeutic treasure chest that human beings are going to be exploring for many generations to come. Absolutely. And, you know, so far all the discussions are really, almost all the discussions are about two of them mm-hmm. in the broad in broad society. And uh, when you look at it from that perspective and how much there still is to be done, it's amazing. And I always, you know, I go back to one stat many times when I'm speaking to people, but before prohibition, there was a cannabinoid in 20% of all medication. And we lost all that knowledge. And that is that losing knowledge and is basically, you know, what happened in the dark ages in history. And it took us hundreds of years to recover it. And I hope, you know, we don't have hundreds of years to relearn everything we could be using this for. But herbal medicines and plant-based medicines around the world are so incredibly powerful and uh, that we neglect them or we, you know, we demonize them is un- unbelievable to me. And we continue to do that. So, 
We do, um, but I, I think your your analogy is spot on, right? So what I've been talking about is the cannabis renaissance. And the original renaissance was this period at the end of European history when the ancient knowledge of lost civilizations like the Greeks and the Egyptians was rediscovered. And then that lost knowledge was married up with more modern production techniques and materials and new science. And it unleashed this torrent of positive social change. Yep. So, Steve, let me ask you a question out of left field, but with all your perspective, um, it would be great to hear. Let's say tomorrow legalization happens in the U.S. What's going to be the biggest challenge facing the industry? Talent will be the biggest challenge facing the industry when it wants to scale up to the degree that it's going to need to scale up to satisfy national demand. One of the things that we've learned in California is that most people who have mainstream business experience, especially at, at, in very large organizations, national companies, uh, don't have cannabis experience or knowledge. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, most of those companies were making people pee in cups to make sure that they didn't have that knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> And then on the other hand, you have uh, a whole generations of, 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 of people who know more about cannabis than anybody on earth, mm -hmm. um, but have never had the opportunity to uh, participate in mainstream business or only read opportunity. So on the one hand, the people who have cannabis expertise, the subject matter experts, don't really have very much mainstream business expertise and vice versa. So uh, bridging that gap is something that has proven to be quite tricky. Um, you know, the, it, it, you know, in a lot of different kinds of businesses that come together, there's a shared culture, but, um, but in fact, there's the, the culture of these two different groups of people are, are very, very different. And there is a gulf of mistrust that lies between them. The mainstream business culture has been told to be suspicious of the cannabis people who are really kind of sort of like criminals or at least hippies that don't really know what they're doing. And, and the mainstream business people to the hippies have been the suits, right? Yep. And so, it's, and we saw that sort of mentality institutionalized on the first or the last, the prior revision of the regulations in Germany, which had that amazing clause in it that you had to have at least five years experience to get a license, but you weren't able to participate in any uh, illegal activities in the last five years, which basically blocked, legally blocked anybody from doing anything and nobody could do operate particularly within any framework that made any sense. Um, and when you look at that, I mean, we have so far to go in terms of the logical process. True. Um, you, if you, you cannot understand uh, cannabis history uh, or policy through a lens of logic. Uh, no. <laughs> if you're here out. No, and you know, even, even a country like Canada, which many point to as being at the forefront, you know, Canada went through legalization and everybody got excited, but the implementation of the regulatory framework has been so poor that in areas patients don't have access, the government distribution centers don't get product regularly for the adult use and the recreational side of the business, but also the medical side. It's still a very poor distribution network. And then what was black market is now operating in, you know, in completely in the open and people confuse the two channels because everything is applied 
unevenly, both from province or the equivalent of state to state, or uh, even between municipalities. It's like there's a federal legalization with a lack of uh, normalcy across uh, city to city level. And I understand in the U.S. there's still some dry counties, but you know that sort of um, implementation only creates problems, and uh, that's an unfortunate path. Well, I think um, uh, I don't know Canada quite as well as the United States, but I I did have I've been up to Canada many times, and I had an opportunity to listen to I forget her name now, but the deputy. Prime Minister who was um, put in charge of developing the cannabis regulations. And we both spoke at the same conference in New Brunswick. And uh, and her position was that the government had deliberately and done everything that it possibly could to legalize cannabis without encouraging its use. And so... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's correct. For example, for all the egregious restrictions on branding and marketing. Yep. Um, because they didn't want anyone to encourage use. And, I, and I'm like, okay, let me get this. I think that Canada has a drinking problem. I think that Canada has a pharmaceutical problem. I think that Canada has a heroin problem, right? And, yep. and, 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 and here's a plant that can help ameliorate all of those problems, and you don't want to encourage people to use it. Why would you not want to encourage people to use it? So I think that there is this sort of, Basic, um, uh, you know, holding of the nose while they while they legalized it at, at the federal level, and then you know the same thing has played out in Canada that's played out in the United States, where local regulation really has a huge impact, and it varies from from place to place. Yeah, I think um, you know that was Anne McClellan, and she was also Minister of Justice at a, at a point, um, and you know that's very true. Canada also has. Uh, very strong limits on advertising around alcohol. Beer is advertised, but limited, but hard alcohol really isn't. Wine isn't, not on TV. Um, There are some print ads, but they're very, very circumspect. And uh, pharmaceuticals are also very circumspect in the advertising. In fact, um, you can't really say what it's for. So you see Viagra ads with people dancing around, but you don't really get an explanation of why they're dancing. Um, so there's a... They have two bathtubs. bathtubs, right? And I'm like, yeah. you know, if I was in a Viagra situation, I think it'd be a one bathtub night, you know? Exactly, exactly. So, you know, it's uh, it's interesting to see the that, you know, the different steps that organized companies, not companies, countries go through um, down this path. And it's, um, it'll be nice the day we actually hit some level of, you know, real broad global uh, acceptance where the governments embark on this with everybody else and accept that it's part of, it is part of society and part of life. And there's a, a valuable component to it socially, economically, and culturally and that you know they they embrace it, not discount it. It's uh, it's really sad that it's still a dis- discussion and debate. Um, you know, before we go, I was just thinking about uh, a little bit more, just about with regards to your activities, and you were one of the co-founders of ArcViewer um, along the way, 
And ArcView has been incredibly involved with uh, helping fund companies, not just in the U.S., but around the world and exposing them to investors and everything, uh, all the opportunities. And we've gone from seeing, um, you know, family offices and high net worth individuals investing and really being the ones who moved the industry forward to now the banks participating but there's still the hedge funds to come and some and eventually the venture capital firms and you're you're in the San Francisco area which is the hub of global activity around venture capital firms for uh, the IT industry and so much else do you have many conversations with the VCs on um, on Sand Hill Row or elsewhere about them inquiring about getting involved in the industry and when do they think it's going to be possible for those firms to start participating Oh, they've been involved for some time. Uh, yeah, but. <laughs> when he called Meadow, Meadow yep. came out of Y Combinator, which is one of the major uh, business accelerators in Silicon Valley. There's a company called Ease that was put together by a group of Silicon Valley investors, which is a, they call themselves a cannabis software company. They're really a cannabis delivery company. But a lot of the VCs are precluded from participating directly. So you get the LPs who participate off the side of the table. But when do you, do you foresee the, that the, you know, the VCs will start approaching the cannabis companies like they do the technology companies as, you know, a, a Bessemer Ventures investing in or so, something along those lines? Well, I think that, 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 you know, a lot of cannabis investors right now are in, in a wait and see kind of posture like, uh, like the rest of the world. Um, uh, there's, I think that there's, you know, that, that when you think about what's going to happen in the United States, you think about, you know, what's going to happen before and after federal legalization. And there's going to be a huge opportunity. Uh, it's really, you know, still right now, the golden window of opportunity for cannabis investing in the United States, because there's going to be a tremendous lift that happens when we legalize at the federal level. And that will happen um, eventually. So um, I think that the closer that we get to that happening, the more the, the, the bigger and bigger the temptation is going to be for, for people to jump in. And, and companies, yep. you're right, there's a lot of companies who are precluded by their charters from investing in an illegal business. And under federal law in the United States, cannabis is still, uh, is still illegal. Um, but they are still managing to get into the business. So, you know, we just saw this massive investment from Constellation Brands. Constellation Brands is yep. a U.S. publicly traded company. Um, they did not invest into U.S. companies that had domestic operations in the U.S. They invested into Canopy Growth Corporation. Which right? turned around and bought Heritage, which is in the U.S. So, um, <laughs> so uh, look, the, the smart money is in already. Um, uh, the, 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 and, and, and more and more of it will come in uh, leading up to that point. Yeah, of course. No, it's... Uh, it's always the way. I was just interested to see how many of the, uh, you know, before they get involved, before they get involved, there's going to be a rush for an education process. And so, you know, I expect that a lot of the Sand Hill Row firms will be phoning you for briefings and they'll be looking for people uh, just like they have entrepreneurs and residents around different industries for entrepreneurs and restaurants, uh, residents and advisors to help them navigate the industry and understand where to place their bets. 
because it's not about where the industry is today, it's where it's going tomorrow. And that type of foresight is rare. And that's yeah. something you've had. I, I, I think that um, I, I, it's my belief that cannabis by dollar value is going to be the most valuable product on the planet. That may not happen in my lifetime, um, but it is going to happen in the lifetimes of people who are right now in the industry and are, and are building companies. When you take a look at, at, at everything that we're going to displace in healthcare and alcohol and, and fuel and fiber and construction materials, um, it's, it's just going to, to be huge. And, you know, we were talking about there's a, a, a learning curve that's going to go along with that. And people who have depth of expertise in cannabis who also can understand a modern business environment are going to be in high demand. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, the growth opportunity for any investor is unparalleled because this is coming out of it, as it becomes legalized. You know, it's a rocket and an engine for any firm that's in there, but any firm, anybody that's getting into it because the opportunities are massive. But unfortunately, we're out of time today. Um, love to continue this conversation and hope to do it again at some point. But Steve, thank you so much for joining us. And for people wanting to check out the Prisoner Project and how to help and assist, where should they go? Lastprisonerproject.org. Fantastic. So www.lastprisonerproject.org. All one word? All one word. Come check us out. We make it really easy for you to plug in. Great. Thank you so much, Steve. Great chatting with you today. Thanks for having me, Richard. Be well. Be safe. Thank you. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.